This podcast is sponsored by Pet Plan, who are the UK's number one pet insurer. I've always used Pet Plan for Raymond as they cover things other insurers don't and they can even pay your vet directly, which can be a big help. No, Raymond, that doesn't mean you can spend all the extra cash on treats. Terms, conditions and excesses apply. Pet Plan is a trading name of Allianz Insurance PLC. His grandfather won crafts, the rather wonderfully named Fabulous Willie. You know, when you're showing a dog, they talk about the handler. Yeah, yeah. So so-and-so is handling. <laughs> Finish the <laughs> sentence. It took me a while, but that is rather brilliant. <laughs> this week on Walking the Dog, Raymond and I met up with broadcaster and writer Claire Balding. And yes, Raymond, I know, host of Crafts. Claire took us to West London's Chiswick House and Gardens, and it was so fascinating and moving hearing what a huge impact dogs have had on her life. She very sadly lost her Tibetan terrier Archie a few years ago, but she's channeled that into a lovely tribute by writing a book, Isle of Dogs, which is all about our unique relationship with dogs. It's a fabulous read, and Claire is a fabulous person to go for a walk with, partly because she's brilliant company, but also I've never seen Raymond being that obedient. He was genuinely looking at me as if to say, see, she makes me want to be a better dog. I so hope you enjoy our chat. Do remember to follow us and do keep listening every week. I'll hand over now to the woman herself. Here's Claire and Raymond. Look at you, you lovely little mover. Oh, thanks, Claire. I made an effort today. He is. Oh, sorry, not you. <laughs> Raymond, you are such a... Gosh, you like a little dressage pony. Look at you pointing your toe. And do you ever get them cut really short? For the I mean, winter, just so the long hair doesn't get wet every he day. He is a lot of grooming. Yeah. And I do exactly. In the summer, when it's kind of extreme seasons. Yes. Oh, Raymond. So this it, is where we walked Archie every day and had a gang of mates who were, would meet up. The cafe never used to be so smart. There was a really, you know, run-down little shed that faced completely the wrong way. So faced north <laughs> and it was always really cold. And they rebuilt the cafe and quite rightly put all the seating area out on the south side. So in case you hadn't worked it out already, I'm so excited to have this woman on Walking the Dog. I'm with the very wonderful Claire Balding. We're at Chiswick House in West London and I've brought Raymond along. Hello. And we've just run into her. Hello, hi there, morning. Hello. Oh, look at that. Yeah. What is that? It's a Shih Tzu, he's a Shih Tzu. What happened to I like you Archie, oh, he's no longer with us, I'm afraid. Um, and I'm, I'm, wait, I'm sort of waiting and plotting and looking for the next... Well, this is your set. No, this no, 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 is... yeah. This is Raymond. Raymond's my new friend. I like it. Nice to meet you. So, Claire, this was where you would walk yeah. Archie, your dog who... Really yes. sadly, you lost a, a few years back. Yeah, so he was 15 and a half and he had a fantastic life and he made, and this, this is the wonderful thing about dogs and you know this and everybody, you know, will know it who walks their dogs in, in a park. Your dog makes friends for you because your dog yeah. will go up to other dogs and say hello <laughs> and some dogs will go, get lost and others will go, hello back. <laughs> the lovely waterfall here running into the big lake. So it's, it's really nicely landscaped. It's it's a great place. Claire, so meet... I feel I feel like you're trying to sell it to me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, every day we meet up with mates here, and and you know, that's 
how our group of London friends was formed. So everybody, you know, the eldest is 80 something. Um, the youngest is probably me actually, but everybody comes from different backgrounds, different work experience, as it were, different lives. Um, and we're all still mates 20, so you know, nearly 20 years later. And Archie came into your life, hmm. who's a Tibetan terrier. Tibetan terrier, yeah. His grandfather, one crafts, the, the, the rather wonderfully named Fabulous Willie, which I think, <laughs> in fact, I know that they did. The breeders did that deliberately because, you know, when you're showing a dog, they talk about the handler. Yeah, yeah. So so-and-so is handling. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Finish the <laughs> sentence. Me a while, that is rather brilliant. <laughs> and it was when and that you... was Archie's grandfather, fabulous Willie. So if you want to let Raymond off, you can. If he's let's sit, Ray. Good boy, Raymond. I'm going to say, Claire, he's better on grass. Mm -hmm. We'll come out the end of this path onto grass. Come on, Raymond. Good boy. There we go. So go on. So when you Good met life. Alice, was that a, yeah. a can we get a dog? That was a big Pretty thing. Pretty quickly. I was very keen to get a dog. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew she had had actually a, a Shih Tzu in her former life. Um, so I knew that she could do the dog thing. Um, yeah. But you know what it's like when you're in your 20s and 30s, life is so busy and you're constantly, you know, you're working hard. Yeah. And it's not always, and it's not a case of it not always being easy. I, d I think it's not easy or difficult. It's whether it's right for a dog. Yeah. And we needed to be somewhere settled, you know, with a garden, which I didn't have till that point until we got together. So I couldn't have done it sooner. Um, and also because Alice worked shift work at that time for Radio 4, actually our lives dovetail quite well. We might not have seen much of each other, but we saw a lot of the dog. <laughs> so one of us was always home. We never once had to use the dog walker. Yeah. Um, and that's amazing, actually. Uh, and then when she left Radio 4, she could decide, you know, a bit more when and what she wanted to do. And I tend to be quite busy in the summer, or very busy in the summer, and less so autumn, winter. So when I'm writing, obviously, you know, getting out and going for a walk, preferably with a dog, is part of my daily routine and actually quite an important part of the creative process. Yeah. I need to walk um, to help me cogitate. Oh, look, he's gone straight through that muddy puddle. What's happening? I'll tell you what's this happening. This is like a transformation. I'll tell you what's it? happening, Claire Balding. Yeah. He's with you yeah. and he wants to impress you. He's going, come on, I can do this. Watch me. I'm a, I'm a solid, muddy dog. Um, Good boy. So that must have been so heartbreaking when you lost Archie. Yeah, though, I'm so yeah. sorry you had to go through that. And actually, that. do you know, well, everyone does. Everyone mm. who has a dog is going to go through that. And if you're, well, I don't know, what, what do you choose? You know, how are you choosing? Our first, we had a puppy before Archie. We had a really sweet white, little pure white Tibetan terrier puppy. And he got killed on the road outside our house and it was the shock of that. I still sometimes lie in bed at night and I remember because I saw it and it was just really bad luck. He followed me back out of the door and I hadn't shut the gate properly and a car and a car never came down that road. We lived in a really quiet road then 
and a car was coming down way too fast. And it was just all of that accident of timing. And that was such a huge shock. With Archie, it was the opposite because we had to make the decision to have him put down and then know for three days before it happened that it was going to happen. So that sort of, we'll go over there and then. Um, you know, that's awful because you kind of, you know, we were both very upset and we kept crying and he doesn't know why we're crying. Um, so that, I don't know. Well, well, you know, it's, it's pretty awful either way, but what you get in between is the most joyful, yeah. life-enhancing addition to your family. And so I'd rather have that. Yeah. And the pain's the price you pay. I mean, gosh, I guess if you're super lucky, your dog dies in its sleep <laughs> at the age of 17 and having had a wonderful life. But they do go through, obviously, uh, I met someone the other day whose dog had terrible arthritis. And we were talking about that and the knowledge that your dog is living in pain and they're very good at covering pain. Yeah. And that's a hard thing, you know. How do you, who, who are you keeping the dog alive for? Because you're not always doing yeah. it for the dog. Right? You're doing it for you. You think you're doing it for them. But if you can't explain, I do think you've constantly got to ask yourself, who am I doing this for? But yeah. Dad said something really lovely to you about, you know, the inevitability of having to say he, goodbye to yeah. dogs. He said, the thing, and this is when Percy got killed, he said, you can't replace the dog, but you can fill the hole they've left. Mm. Which you can't, obviously, with a person. Um, and so actually when Percy got killed, we got Archie very quickly because we couldn't bear it, couldn't bear coming down to the kitchen. And, you know, all this sort of dog paraphernalia that we got because Percy was our first dog was sitting there and I just I couldn't bear it. So yeah, we went back to the same breeders and that's when we got Archie. Um, and, and he, I mean, you know, he, he did live a very full and long life. <laughs> Lots of people didn't like Archie, my, my, my parents included, I think. Lucy, who was my ramblings producer, she didn't like him. Well, he was not easy and he wasn't, you know, he'd have a snap. If you, if you try, he didn't take authority well. He didn't, um, we'll go around the side of the pond. So there's this really beautiful, do you see the arch bridge? It's lovely. Oh, I love this. Yeah. And there's a little so island So pretty, here. isn't it? Lots of herons around. Come on, Raymond. He sniffs a lot on walks, Claire. Yeah, so he should. Is that okay, do you think? Yes. <laughs> That's him chatting. That's him going, mm, my word, stimulation. And actually, in the, so in the book, I think, good boy, look at him galloping towards us. Hey, he was a good fella. Um, so, so the purpose behind writing the book, partly to look for what would be our next dog, but also just so I could hang out with dogs and dog people, really. I mean, that's, the, you know have a reason for doing so, go and find, be able to ring somebody up, like, like Dogs for Good or, yeah. or whatever, and say, look, I'm writing this book, can I come and spend the day watching puppy training? Yeah. And they say, yes, <laughs> because you're writing a book. <laughs> so I knew I, what you were up to. Yeah, that's what I, I had was your up number. to. Yeah. And you... And it was lovely. It was great to be able to do that. And, and anyway, one of the things I really learned was the difference between exercise and stimulation and how much mm. certain breeds need 
stimulation. So what Raymond's doing now, this is massively stimulating for him yeah. because loads of different smells, lots of dogs come in this park. It's a new environment. He's meeting different people as well, different sounds. You know, that's for him. He'll be exhausted tonight. Um, oh, thank God. <laughs> and as you point out in the book, there's really interesting information like this thing about dogs being able to smell. Mm. What is it, Claire? It's a teaspoon of sugar or something. Yeah, in, in an a... Olympic-sized swimming pool. Yeah. So that's how strong their olfactory receptors are, how, how incredibly highly tuned they are, which is why they can smell not just drugs and cash and explosives and find, you know, bodies in a, after an earthquake, but also they can smell cancer. They can yeah. smell Parkinson's. They can smell... They, they know when you're having a, a sugar low, if you're, if you're diabetic or a sugar high. They can predict the onset of a, of a epileptic episode, anxiety, you know, that mm. kind of thing. They are massively highly tuned. And it's, and it, you know, some charities and organisations have trained dogs specifically to do things. So, and actually, if you think about it, army dogs, police dogs, all that is, is again, training them for a specific task. And dogs want to help. They want a job. You a lot of that. breeds and a look. lot of, well, look, Raymond says, oh, I'm your co-presenter. Would you just <laughs> wait for me? I'm on my way. You want a job, don't you, Raymond? <laughs> yeah. Claire, I've, I want to go back because you, you talk about this in Isle of Dogs mm. and also in your book, My Animals and Other Family, family yeah. which I love <laughs> and everyone loved. <laughs> it uh, won awards and was a bestseller. Uh, I want to go back to your history your family history with dogs mm -hmm. because it would take the entire podcast to name every single dog you had because your family were kind of wild about dogs weren't they that was so much a big part of your family structure yes so they mainly had boxers and lurchers and my brother still has boxers my mum still got a boxer and my parents morning Hello. and my parents had a lurcher until earlier this year what's that one claire um now that looked to me like a a larger form of it's a terrier and it could be it's bigger than a welsh terrier i'm just going to look up a lucas terrier because somebody was recommending a lucas terrier to me so it looked a bit so i just said to claire two seconds ago what do you think that dog is and she's now looking up yeah because it's black tightly curled uh could be a kerry blue without the that's got the tech, do you think? Can oh, yes, I think that is. But without, yeah, it's the, got a slight, didn't yeah. have the grooming like that. The terrier, that yeah, the I think you're right. You see, oh, that fine. tells me a lot about you. Uh -huh. Is that you're quite, you need to know. Oh, yeah. Are you quite like that? You're quite, oh, yes. I yes. need to see something through to completion. Yes. Um, and I love knowledge, I love facts. So anything I do, whether it's sport or dogs or you know a royal event or there's loads of homework to be done for the the queen's platinum jubilee procession which i was commentating on which was that massive event came up the mall thousands of people in it different floats all quite fun but but chaotic i got sent a, a document from the researcher who was terrific it was 400 pages long and i read it and i went back to him on a couple of things and said i think this can I just double check this? Can I just? And he went, "You've, you've read it." 
all. I said, yes. And he went, wow. I said, yes, but surely that's, that's, what, that's what you meant me to do. Anyway, we then condensed it down to about 10 pages so that I could have in the order that the procession was happening. I just had bullet points on each moment. He, he was great, actually, because he was sitting alongside me and would point at things when we suddenly got these dancers thinking, OK, now which ones are these? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's fun. It's fun. I like, you know, it's like constantly being at school, isn't it? Yeah. But I get to do my favourite subjects because I'm picking them all the time. So, And you grew up with, as you say, your mother yeah. loved boxers. Yeah. And I feel like the lurchers were more your dad's thing. Oh, very much so, yeah. I mean, I'm, and, and actually, because the lurchers are super fast because they've got, you know, greyhound in them. Um, if one of the horses could out, you know, could basically leave the lurcher in its wake, then you knew you had a fast horse on your hands. Because mm. um, over a short distance, a furlong or so, they don't stay, really. They won't go a full half mile. But if they joined in the last furlong and the, the racehorse could burn them off but and and had a good one your mum's first boxer candy yes i feel like candy was a lot more than just a dog to you. <laughs> yeah yeah she there's this sweet picture of me as a baby lying alongside candy and um that i think shows that you know candy th very much thought she was my look at this bit see the pond and the temple is very, that a folly or something? Yeah, it's all very capability brand. Yeah, it's beautiful, kind of isn't it? Is. Very Peter Greenway. Yeah. Candy was a huge part of your yeah, childhood, wasn't so she? I think Candy thought she was the nanny. And I, I think I thought she was my mother because <laughs> that's what I'm looking at. <laughs> so, hey, why not? Um, and yeah, I think, I think I say in the book, you know, she was my my one and only companion until my brother was born. Candy was it for me. She was my world. Um, and I... we had, she, kept, she had a few litters of puppies and we kept one of her puppies who then became my dog and she was called Flossie. But mum always says she wasn't as much of a character as Candy. I have to mention your grandmother because she's the most hilarious woman. Oh, yes. What I loved is that I actually think you were just writing honestly about families. Yes. And I actually think you were quite early to the party with that. Now everyone is honest about <laughs> the messiness of the But I think back then people were still sort of... Being polite about yeah. family members. And yes. you were just very honest and I, I laughed. <laughs> I thought, I came away from that thinking, oh, finally a family that feels a bit like mine in all its yeah. messed up fabulousness. Well, yeah. I think what I was honest about was grandma <laughs> didn't really like me. <laughs> And she didn't. I mean, you know. Now, and and that, and I didn't feel because Grandma had died, so I'm not sure I could have written that book if no. Grandma was still alive. Yeah. She died, so I could be pretty open about this is what I saw and how I saw it. Uh, she adored my brother, and fair dues, he was much sweeter than me. I mean, he was a really sweet little boy, um, and easier to love and I was tricky and had an opinion and answered back and asked questions and I was just a bit of a pain. Well, you, Look at this little Jack Russell, isn't that sweet? You weren't what was expected of a woman from her generation. No, so grandma wouldn't let, my, my mother got really good A-level grades and all her brothers went to Cambridge and my grandmother wouldn't let her go to university. She said, I will not have a blue stocking for a daughter. So I think in my mother's head, 
I was going to get the opportunity, that certainly the educational opportunity she hadn't had. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I feel you probably did have the life that your mother was, you know, obviously well, a very bright woman. And I wonder if you... No, I don't know that because I think mum, you know, my mother's still very young. She's only 17 yeah. four. She's had a, she is having a terrific life, the life she, she wanted in many yeah. ways. So, no, I don't think that. I, I just think I've I certainly had I mean, the life I would choose. Yeah. <laughs> That's the point. And, and I love it because I'm constantly stimulated. I do loads of really different things. You know, I look in the diary and go, okay, today, doing the podcast first thing. I've got a meeting with my head of BBC Sport. I've got a meeting about the Festival of Remembrance. We're going out with friends tonight. Tomorrow I'm doing a book signing in Stowe on the World. Then I'm having lunch with my goddaughter. Then I'm doing a photo shoot. Then I'm seeing my dad because it's his birthday. So how many days is and this that's in two days. <laughs> Then oh Wednesday, I'm doing voiceover in the morning and then I'm going up to Manchester. Hello, little one. Hey there. What's this? Jack, Jack Russell? Yeah. She's lovely. Bye-bye. They're cracking dogs, I think. Look, and she's going to really learn to walk on the lead. That little tail constantly wagging. Going on a dog walk with Claire Balding, it's <laughs> like watching Crofts. It's the most <laughs> gripping thing she does. She says, She's got to walk, learn to walk on the lead. And it's I feel honestly, I'd watch this. Yeah, I found reading in The Isle of Dogs hmm. and in your first book just about your relationship with animals, I find it really touching how important they've been to you and how. I kind of feel as well, because your father was obviously a racehorse trainer, not just any racehorse trainer. I mean, he was the racehorse trainer, really, wasn't he? And well, he wasn't Henry Cecil. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but he, he Henry was trained the, the Queen's racehorses. And I, and I feel you grew up, obviously, when you first started riding, that just must have felt very natural. That was never, will I do this or will I not? You were just put on a horse, presumably, when you were very young. Mm, absolutely, stuck on the pony. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I, I had the perfect upbringing for a kid who loves rolling around in the mud. You know, I just had this very rural, feral childhood. That's what your grandmother called you. Yes, and my brother and I would, you know, hang out and take ourselves off to the barn and, you know, swing like Tarzan from a rope until he burnt his hands and let go and broke his leg. That was a shame. Anyway, um, but you know, we'll play with the puppies or paint the puppy shed and paint each other. That wasn't so clever. But you know, we just got on with living, living. And it was fantastic. Um, and you had a, a Shetland pony called Valkyrie. Yes. Who was given to you by? Uh, by the Queen. Mm. Mm. So yeah, when I was born, it was just good timing, really, because... It was just good timing. Because <laughs> Prince Edward had finished, right, you know, he was moved on to slightly bigger ponies. And Valkyrie needed a home that could cope with her sort of various issues. She had sweet itch and she had laminitis. Um, so she needed to go somewhere <laughs> where they knew what they were doing. Um, and... Yeah, she taught me to ride. She taught Andrew to ride. She had two foals while she was with us. Um, oh, she lived with us. I mean, you know, she lived with us for the rest of her life. She lived till she was about 30. And the Queen would come and inspect her racehorses. And 
at the end of the row of gleaming thoroughbreds, there'd be this little fat hairy Shetland, which always made her laugh. So that was good. She, I really like the sound of the Queen from when you've <laughs> talked about her, that you do a brilliant, I'm not even going to call it an impression of her, it's a tribute, because it's very respectful and lovely. And um, she... Well, I talk about her corgis as well in the book and, and about the history of the royal family and dogs, which is really interesting mm. because, of, as you know, the King Charles Spaniel and the King Charles Cavalier Spaniel, both named after monarchs. Mm. Queen Elizabeth I was very keen on her dogs. <laughs> Um, they would have been hunting dogs and sort of big, impressive deerhound types for earlier monarchs. But Queen Victoria is the one who really shook it up in terms of the variety of breeds that she had. And partly that was due to her love of dogs. And she, she had a spaniel very early on in life who she adored. As, her, as the empire was spreading, so her subjects would come back with trophies and they knew she loved dogs so they'd bring dogs from all over the world so she had truffle dogs and bedouin dogs and canadian eskimo dogs and she had a pekingese mm. looted from the royal palace in we peking can this over here, right? we can go this way so we don't have to go through the puddle isn't this um conservatory fantastic so they have camellias in here in the spring it's lovely and you were saying you got married here yeah at the, ha at the where we had our party at the at the house yeah can i let him off the lead here do you think oh claire? yeah don't worry about if it claire i get that feeling with you claire that <laughs> you know you're the person that i'd say do you think it's all right if we do this and if you said it was okay <laughs> do it i'd think it was because that's the head girl in you <laughs> which you were head girl <laughs> yes but and I, got, you I got into trouble first so when i go back and speak at my school and then you know they think i'm gonna talk all about this you know she was head girl etc and i start off by saying yes but what happened in my the first term of my second year and they're all sitting there looking at me and say, i got suspended and the teachers go okay oh! <laughs> <laughs> i'm here to tell you you don't have to be defined by the worst mistake you make yeah. in your life you can turn this around <laughs> well i think that's what's so interesting about you is that if you looked at your C your trajectory superficially on a CV, mm. you'd see father was the, you know, Queen's trainer, making it sound like, it, like he was working out with her. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Queen's personal trainer. Pilates instructor, yeah. the Queen's racehorse trainer. You were head girl, you were president of the Cambridge Union. Now, a superficial reading of that, we'd, I'd think, oh, say, she's that girl. We'd say, pathetic overachiever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd say, oh no, mm -hmm. that woman, you know, she's going to make you feel very inadequate. She's one of those girls, there were no bumps in the road, everything was perfect. And of course, actually, I feel there was a point in your life when you really chose to turn everything around, didn't you? I'm talking about shoplifting gate, Claire. Oh yeah, right, yeah. So <laughs> I was only 10 when that happened. So, but it's pretty instructive in life to know when you go through something that is so shameful and you sort of know why you did it because you were trying to impress other people and be part of a gang and I understand peer pressure, I get it. Mm. I think that's the moment when I thought, right, fitting in is never going to suit me. I'm going to get into trouble if I try and fit in. Whereas I think most people think I'll stay out of trouble if I fit in. And that's maybe if I you know, analyse myself, which I very rarely do. But um, that's maybe I look at that and go, right, that's the moment where I thought I'm going to be different. I am different, live with it. And 
you know, try and make the best of it. And, and one of the analogies that I would use is, I think as people, and particularly through our teenage years and sometimes right into our 20s, we aren't half obsessed with the selfie in every sense, right? We're constantly thinking, when we get up in the morning, what will I wear? Uh, what will they think of me? How am I going to fit into this situation? Me, 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 me. And actually, if you just flip that camera around and go, God, look at the light coming through those leaves. Look at the smile on people's faces. Look at that dog. Look at that sporting event. Look at this. Look at that art. Listen to that music. And, and you walk into a room not thinking, how am I fitting in here? But who's interesting here? Who can I speak to? Who am I going to learn from? It's so releasing and... And I find that to be very helpful for me. And, and because I cover a lot of events where I am looking at it and commentating about it or presenting it or having to react to it, it's just a reset in the brain. But, it, but it's really helpful for me and my happiness. Um, yeah. Because I'm not so obsessed with how do, I, how do I look in this situation? Because there's so much that's much more interesting out there. But it's so interesting that you say that because something that's often been said about you, and this was particularly said of you after the 2012 Olympics, is that, you know, you're forensic, you know your stuff. And I think that's so interesting what you said about focusing. It's kind of living in the present, isn't it? Yes. So you're focusing on what you're doing mm -hmm. and what you're never doing when you're doing something like the Olympics is, what does my voice sound like? Does that sound funny? Do I look nice? Does my makeup look okay? You know, all that stuff. I probably should worry a bit more about that, but I don't. <laughs> yeah. But that's why you sound so in control and interested in your subject. I think lots of people do do that. And, you know, I'm lucky I work in an industry where there are so many talented commentators, pundits, presenters, and we all everyone brings something different to the table and to the party. So you're constantly learning from listening to other people. My, you know, I approach it like I would if I was watching it at home. What do I want to know? Mm. What, what can I, what can Chris Hoy or Mark Foster or Becky Abington, what can they tell me here that adds to? Not how much do I know and how can I show everyone how clever I am? Um, but, but what do I need, what do we all need to know that will, enhance our understanding and therefore our enjoyment of this yeah. bizarre Madison race that's going to go on for 250 <laughs> laps or something, you know. <laughs> you, um, you were a really good jockey, Claire, weren't you? No, I was, I was a <laughs> decent amateur. Excuse I, me, you, you beat the Princess Royal. Yeah, but that's the horse, not me, isn't it? <laughs> Come on. Um, no, I was a decent amateur jockey for a few seasons. I, you know, was not the right build for it and therefore had to work extremely hard. Look at these aces, aren't they pretty? Oh. And see how the light's catching that. Isn't that gorgeous? Aren't they beautiful? When, yeah. I see, when I see trees like that, Claire, I understand why sort of artists get inspired. Oh, totally. Don't you? I went to, when I was in, um, I was in Glasgow for the World Cycling Championships and the Banksy exhibition was on. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. So, what was it like? So good, so interesting, so clever, so visionary. So now I look at things going, oh, what would Banksy do here? Look at that sundial, Raymond. What do you think? Have you had a nice time? Yes, it's mainly what it's about. If you've had a nice time, so have I. You're very good with animals, aren't you? Mm. 
Why do you think that is? I think because I grew up with them. I used to want to be, I wanted to be Dr. Doolittle. I wanted to understand what they said. One of my favorite books when I was young was Olga de Polga by Michael yes. Bond. Do you know yes. who wrote Paddington? Yeah. And there's a really, so Olga de Polga is a guinea pig. And there's one point at which Olga de Polga can speak <laughs> at midnight only for like a minute. And she just says, I love you. Yes, Raymond, and that's what you would say. If you could speak, you'd just say, I love you. This podcast is sponsored by Pet Plan, who help keep the nation's dogs happy and healthy. There was so much to think about when I got my dog, Raymond. Toilet training, grooming, food, and just how many belly rubs can one woman reasonably be expected to give to a Shih Tzu every day? But one thing I've never had to worry about is paying for veterinary care, because I decided to insure Raymond with Pet Plan, who are the UK's number one pet insurance provider. Oh, don't get jealous, Raymond. Of course, you're still my number one. Just a tad on the high maintenance side. Terms, conditions and excesses apply. Pet Plan is a trading name of Allianz Insurance PLC. When you say you weren't that good as a jockey. Oh, I was all right. Listen, you were. I, I, no, I had. Well, I was very relaxed in a race. I was very calm. I could see gaps. I could judge pace. I wasn't strong in a finish. I was dreadful. <laughs> but, you know, you know, there's no Rachel Blackmore. That's not, you know, there are standards. And I was an all right amateur. That's all. And I, and I rode some good horses and horses ran for me, which was nice. You know, some horses suddenly started winning races that hadn't for a long time. And you couldn't win money as an amateur, obviously. But they had a couple of really good series that were sponsored. And one of them, you could win a car. Yeah. And I won my Come first on. car. I won my first car. It was Is it a brand Austin new. Or... No, it was a brand new mini, red mini. And I won my weight in champagne. Now that was a result because <laughs> I was significantly heavier than anyone else. <laughs> Do you know that I got was a lot that, of champagne? <laughs> did that put you that? Did that put you off? Because that whole weight thing. Yeah, you weigh yourself a lot. Yeah, you you are governed yes. by that, aren't yes. you, for your entire career? I'm reading Gabby Logan's um, book at the moment, and. There's loads of things you don't know. And she was a rhythmic gymnast. And, a, yeah. you know, she says very early on, I think she had a pretty unhealthy relationship with food. And, you know, she needed to be a certain shape rather than, whereas I needed to be a specific weight. It's really interesting as well, because I get the sense there was this idea in your family that first, first past the post. Yes it was that or nothing. And I, I understand that because if you grow up in a sporting environment, there's no point, you can't not have that attitude. Um, and I think that's interesting because I can see how, why that's translated to be you being so good in a live environment that you kind of thrive on that. I like the unpredictability yes. of live. I love it when everything starts to go wrong in a programme <laughs> and the running order is ripped up. I, I really enjoy chaos actually i mean not in a do you watch the morning show i on Apple? love okay. it i'm not as much of a chaos fiend as corey yeah who just thrives off that yeah. um but i quite enjoy it i kind of go right this is where this is where i you know earn the money and my brain slows down and that and that i think is a legacy of having ridden in races that actually when you're under pressure the whole Clive Woodward think clearly under pressure, you know, come up here, Raymond. Yes, darling. All right. Sit here. All right. 
because that's warmer than the stone. Yeah. Um, you know, that your brain can slow down and you can think really logically in the most stressful of situations. Yeah. And I quite enjoy that. But um, that means you must be very good in a crisis. I'm good at logistics and I'm good at practical, you know, right, let's do this. I'll take you here. I'll make this happen. You have, you know, I can do that. Um, and I quite like helping people out in that sense. I'm not probably as good as an emotional support. Alice would be better at that. She's very good at emotional support. She can give Why people do you think a hug that at is? the right time. Oh, I just think she's much more emotionally um, mature than I am. <laughs> if I went to my mother in an emotional state, she would say, either pull yourself together or let's take the dogs for a walk. And we'd all be better by the time we'd taken the dogs for a walk. We don't have to talk about this, do we? Do we have to talk about this? That's what she would say. Why do we have to talk about this? Why is everyone talking about the menopause now? I mean, honestly, we didn't talk about it. Just get on with it. <laughs> Stuff and nonsense. <laughs> and but it's you funny. know, it's interesting because I, I um, went to, I, uh, I felt a similar thing to you, just that sense of difference. That I went to a posh girls' school, mm. and I felt not accepted because my parents were sort of media. My dad was in worked for the BBC, and my mum was an actor. But we didn't have money. And so I was I get that totally. Did and you I have that? Completely identified. Yes. We had the money to go to posh school because <laughs> Mr. Mellon, who owned Mill Reef, had set up a trust fund. But what my parents didn't have was the money to keep up. Yeah. So no, I couldn't go on the school skiing holiday and I couldn't come with a suitcase full of new clothes every term yeah. to wear at weekends. I couldn't have that the new blazer I was going to get it secondhand from and that's not poor no. but it's just not it's a not extravagant at all yeah. ever um and also not I think in many ways just not able to um and and I do think they probably as much as my father ever thought about these things which I'm not sure he did but mum will have thought well it's good for you you can't have everything yeah. why should everything be shining you no there are things you shouldn't have and you know wait for that and you know don't ever fly business class because it'll spoil you it'll spoil you for life so like, oh okay but what, what if i want to fly business class actually i mean if you get an upgrade i mean that's different why would you pay for it well because it's better mum <laughs> it's just better does that leave you with a slight hangover though a feeling slight i feel i'm terrible at spending money yeah. really terrible alice yeah. has to make me absolutely make me and and does that you know I, I, I you know eventually i'll say no you were right you were right we should have gone for that better room in such such hotel and you know but i will quite often take a bus back i quite like taking the bus so i you know she'll say why didn't you get a cab back from so and so i say oh, because the 94 bus goes direct and, and i can sit on the top floor of the bus front left to me that's business class I can look in everybody's houses and I get a phone signal the whole way so I can actually sit and do my work. I can answer my emails, I don't, you know. That's, and I quite enjoy it, so. But that is a hangover from your family experience. Oh, totally, yeah. And I don't know what you call it because my mother was not a Presbyterian, but it's that sort of, you know, she's got a very strong Protestant work ethic yeah. and doesn't believe in being flash and showy. Yeah. I mean, really doesn't <laughs> believe in it, so. <laughs> She's very happy to take coats from me that, you know, I say, here, mum, have this one. I've worn it a few times on telly. You can have it. And uh, she's very happy to do that. But she wouldn't buy one. God, no. 
But they must be so proud of you now, your parents, Claire. Well, Dad suddenly doesn't really, he, he's unfortunately got, you know, pretty advanced dementia. So, yeah, that I'm but sorry. But he said to everyone in the home, if I go and see, this, do you recognise her? This one, she's famous. She's famous. And it's so, it, it's excruciating, especially for my mother. <laughs> it's like, it's like <laughs> literally the worst thing in the world to be is famous. I mean, <laughs> the second worst thing in the world to be is extravagant. Oh my God. What will people think? <laughs> You'll never guess. It's Claire's famous. I think they whisper it. It's brought great shame on the family. Yeah, it's, it's we've terrible. never recovered. Never recovered. Why does she have to show off so much? <laughs> she's, she's presenting. Oh, no. <laughs> that would have been bad. I remember my, I found a letter after my mother died and I found a letter and it said, Emmy is a dreadful show off. And do you know, the fact that I remember that, it's like, I've never oh. forgotten it. And what fascinated the bone. Mm. But it fascinated me that that was a bad thing. And it's interesting when you're talking about your mum, I can imagine that would have been a bad thing as oh, well. Oh, but also the constant, it was so competitive. Yeah. Like that, yeah. because it's a bad thing because it's not feminine. <laughs> it's all right for Andrew to be competitive, as he should be, you know. Uh, but I shouldn't be. Anyway, and yeah. Listen, it makes me laugh because what I do, and I sent, uh, I have an American cousin who needed a bit of, you know, a bit of help. That's from your dad's side, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And um, I said, my one of my things that really helps me is to think uh, everything is copy. The classic Nora yes. Ephron line, yeah. everything is copy. So anything like that that is yeah. said, you, you, take, you turn it into a story. I talk to kids about this. Turn it into a story because you own it then, it's your narrative, yeah. and make it funny, because when you yeah. can laugh at it, it doesn't hurt you anymore. And actually, I re that's what I really felt with your memoir, and I, I love your writing, I love this with Isle of Dogs and all that, whenever you tell those sort of stories, I think there is, it's that difference between autobiography and memoirs, that autobiography is what happened, and memoir is how you felt when it happened and what you did with what happened. And I look at what you did and, that competitive spirit you've channeled into everything that you've done really positively, haven't you? Well, I think I know I need to be um, tested and that's good and it's good for me. But I think what I have hopefully learnt is empathy and I think I probably didn't have that. Maybe lots of people don't in their teens and their 20s. I think I just thought, right, this is me, you know, ploughing my way through and I you must keep going. And now with that slightly broader vision of look around you, I am very sensitive to how other people are getting on. And actually, I really enjoy that. So if I'm working with someone who's never done an Olympics before, yeah. I'll channel all my energy into making their experience good. And that helps me, but it also gives me real pleasure to watch them yeah. start to enjoy it and get better. <laughs> Alice says I constantly offer career advice, unsolicited career advice. Um, I said, no, occasionally people do ask me actually. Said, yeah, but you'll offer it anyway. Yes, yes, I will. <laughs> but you know what? That doesn't surprise me because um, I'm telling you about your life now, but when you were at school, hmm. there was this point when you turned things around and you'd had a sort of outward bound oh, yeah. outdoors activity. It was one of those things that they send you on. Hmm. And you came back, didn't you? And you were then made head of house. And the comment that was given was not because of your achievements. It was how you helped and inspired everyone else. 
But the funniest thing, okay, so on that Outward Bound, we were split into um, alphabetical. So my friend Jerry, who's an A, she, Jerry, she was Jerry Avenel. <laughs> I was standing, she was frightened of heights and I was trying to get her from one tree to the next. I said, come on, Jerry, you can do it on a, on a wire. You can do it, you can do it. Just one foot, just keep looking at me, keep looking at me. And she eventually goes, Claire, fuck off. <laughs> it's just like that classic, would you stop trying to help me and just shut up? Um, but yeah, I was I was a good chivia, and even if not wanted, and I think that's the that's the common theme here. I'll help people even if they don't want it. <laughs> There's a very funny sketch. Tracy Ullman's done this really funny sketch of me, and it's that it's constantly trying to do other people's jobs, and it's so me. Like it had to have been informed by someone who knew me. I'll do that. I'll make that cup of coffee. No, let me do that. I'll drive the car. You're the driver, but I'll take the car. Don't you worry. You have a rest. That really, like, yeah. So I'm actually just really annoyed. Well, Alice, your partner says you're, you are a backseat driver. I mean, she didn't call me this morning and say a <laughs> bit about you and say Claire is such a backseat driver. But I have heard her go on record. I think she might say it in Isle of Dogs because yeah, you hand over yeah. the reins to her at one point. Yeah. Um, are you a backseat driver oh, ter terrible. when it terrible. comes to life then? Where's that from? Oh, when it comes to life, I don't know. No, with the car, it's just because, you know, she doesn't see gaps and she doesn't have the instinct to go for me. If you're going to go, go. I was, I was doing this lovely series this summer uh, about rivers for Channel 5 and we had a fantastic team. I really enjoyed it. And, and a production company called 2-4. Anyway, I wasn't driving and I won't name names, but, but the person who was, was a really, you know, one of them was quite inexperienced and a bit nervous, gets to a roundabout, hesitating, hesitating. And I went, just, if you're going to go, go. <laughs> so he now uses that in life all the time. As Claire would say, if you're going to go, go. <laughs> that would scare me though. Claire Balding say, if you're going to go, go, I would think, I would feel like your horse. I'd feel like Mill yeah. Reef Well, at that's that the point. trouble. I, I do do that a bit as well, going, Go on, go on, gap, gap on the left, and I point, and, and Alice just looks, stop it! Do you know what's really interesting, and this touches on the book as well, is that I get the impression, which is what I find really touching about your family life, is that your dad, for example, who had this amazing relationship with horses, obviously, and this affinity with them, and this understanding and empathy of them, that was a channel for his emotions, and I... I, th I, can, I think that's healthy. I can see that because at least he was channeling it. A lot of people from that generation and from that world wouldn't channel it at all. Mm. I think it made me understand your, your family and why you've turned out the way that you have, which seems to be quite a good egg. <laughs> <laughs> that's very kind of you to say so. What um, do you think you've, what quality? No, I'm just like you, massive show off. <laughs> Are you a show off? Our mothers would go, God, it's just dreadful, isn't it? But if your mother was an actress, yeah. then well. come on. So Alice was an actress. And I remember when I first um, introduced her to my mother, I could see her do that thing of, oh, an actress. <laughs> it's like, What's wrong with that? I was like really impressed. Um, but yes. It's a bit the king's mistress, isn't Slightly, it? You know, like... yeah. Yes, isn't it funny, yeah. that snobbery about acting? Do you want to get up That's how they would have seen it. All right, sweetie. Thank but were they, were they lovely about it? Because I am... Um... Oh, they adore Alice. Yeah, yeah, oh. they do. And actually, my father was particularly um, impressed with her golfing skill. So he could finally play golf against someone <laughs> who was actually better than him. Um, 
and my nephew Toby is rather a good golfer. The, the kids generally are good golfers, but Toby loves playing with Alice because oh. she teaches him how to do it properly. Yeah, very sweet. You, um, that, as I say, you, after you left Cambridge, mm. you weren't going to be a, be a presenter originally, were you? And you? No, I wanted to be a writer. How did you make that move to, to presenting? Because I know you became a, you were a trainee at the BBC, weren't uh -huh. you? Yeah. What made you think, oh, this is what I want to do? Was it the racing that no, led you there? timing was everything. And Five Live was just starting as a, yeah. as a radio station. So before that, there wasn't a speech network. Um, you know, Radio 4 was it. And that had kind of, you know, all sorts of programmes that still exist, but a bit of drama, a bit, but it didn't have rolling news. The rolling news concept is very recent and sport being such a big part of that is, you know, it's only 25 years old or something. So my timing was very good. My, the chance that I was offered from a guy called Cornelius Lysett, who was the BBC's racing correspondent, was entirely based on the pitch of my voice. That he said, well, if you can, if you can write and if your voice sounds okay then why don't you try radio so the big the big thing in life i think is if you're offered those opportunities it is still down to you whether you say yes or not so people talk about luck and they say oh i was lucky the bit that's not lucky is the fact that you said yeah. yes that's not luck that's you yeah so any job when you're offered it you know right yes. do i take this chance or not and you might think of all the things that are wrong with it and quite often in our line of work it doesn't pay enough and, yeah. and it's going to be you know inconvenient and you might be working hours that you don't appreciate I, I mean I worked full night shifts for a while and they're pretty awful to be honest um, I worked over Christmas I worked over missed weddings you know friends wedding all of that but that was the choice I made that's what I wanted to do yeah. and now I'm in a position where I can choose a bit more not to have to get up early in the mornings, which I don't like. Um, funny, isn't it? Coming from a world in which I always got up early, I don't yeah. like working in the morning. I am not a great functioner at between... Really? Oh, until after nine o'clock. No. See, I would have thought you were... I need a couple were... of cups of coffee and then I'm fine. And oh. I like late nights, so I like doing the, I like doing the evening highlights at the Olympics because I like the quick reaction to things that have happened rather than the prediction of what's going to happen. But that's interesting, though, because I think you also, and I think women are, have often been conditioned to think, I, I'm not trained for this, I can't do it. I think men have been more encouraged to think, well, I'll learn as I go. I'll yeah. say yes, and then, you know, I, I, and that's so changing. I'm working on a theory, and I'd be interested to know what you think, that true equality is actually when we're all allowed to be average. That, that, you know, people think equality is about women being offered, you know, chances at the top table. Exceptional women still yeah. are, exceptional women are still overperforming massively. But when are you allowed to just be average? And it's not, I'm not saying I want to be average. I don't want to be average. But I'm just like, there are a lot of, you know, I like men. I don't want to live with one, but I like them. And I like working with them. But I've worked with enough to know there are a lot of average men who are in jobs that they get rewarded supremely well for. And it just seems to me that women are either in the exceptional yeah. bracket or they've got the menial tasks where they're being massively underpaid. They're not in the middle section. Why aren't they? That's what, I don't know how one fights for it. The right to be average. It's not really a slogan that works. But do you know what I'm saying? I don't know whether that is a good theory or not, well, but it, it makes sense to me that 
it just the right to be just good right just yeah. be good just be basically good and most women are over performing to stay level with the average man raymond you've got a little thing sticking on your tail can i just get it yes yeah. it's interesting as well claire I imagine when you did the Olympics, was that quite frightening having all the, that attention suddenly? Because you were, that's really when I remember suddenly, you know, it, it had, my mum, if change. sport touches my mum, <laughs> something's really odd. I remember we were driving down to, we had a bit of a break between the Olympics and Paralympics and Alice and I were driving down to Cornwall and we stopped at the services on the A303 and Alice was filling up the car and I went in no other way around I was filling up the car and she went inside to pay she came back out and she mm. said it's changed mm. everyone in the service station would be, I think that's clever yeah that's clever it's clever and and you know these kids then I started talking to these kids and we'd started talking all about sports and it was great and um I was just talking to them about what they'd enjoyed at the Olympics and we got back in the car and she went wow this is really different she said it won't last but it, you know it's different <laughs> But how do you deal with trolls? Oh, do you ignore them? Yeah, I do actually. <laughs> yeah, I find that's pretty effective. I won't look at social media through the course of a major event. So mainly because I don't want to be distracted. No. And and they might be really nice comments, but that can be just as there we go. Do you love me more now? Good boy. Um, I don't want to be distracted by the good stuff either because you can't half get fall into a trap of believing the good publicity. So. My rule is you can't believe the good stuff. So I didn't after London 2012. <laughs> because if you believe the good stuff, you have to believe the bad stuff. And the bad stuff's horrible. So why would I bother? You know, um, Alice will tell me if I've done something wrong. I did something awful the other day. I did a terrible interview, actually. What did you do? Well, I did two awful things. One was I confused <laughs> Mick Hucknall, who was at a party I was at, with Michael Hutchins. And I was a big NXS fan. Uh, so I said, and Michael Hutchins was there. Well, that would be a miracle. He's been dead for about 15 years. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the presenter didn't correct me. And I didn't realise until after I came off air. And I suddenly thought, I said Michael Hutchins. And I meant to say Mick Hucknall. Quite often do that. So obviously, yeah. same letters and all that. And also, in the course of the interview, he was being very nice to me. And he said, oh, everybody loves you. Something, something, something. And I said, oh, they wouldn't. Alice would say they wouldn't if they knew me. And she was sitting next door and she came. When I came out, she said, but I wouldn't say that. I always say you're the same. She said, don't say that. That makes me sound like a real bitch. Um, and, and she said, and I wouldn't say that. And I said, no, I know. I was just trying to be funny. Why was I doing that? But I am also quite good at going, nobody was listening. And quite often they're not. No one, seriously, no one has sent me a message saying, you said Michael Hutchins. You didn't mean Michael Hutchins. He died in whatever year he did die. But you know. people, a lot of people are listening in your case. Well, they're not concentrating. <laughs> One of the things I really respect about you is when I read that you turned down that proposal, because I think that took a lot of, that you were dating a guy at the time. And, oh, sorry, yes. Come on. Sorry, seeing which proposal? Um, no, you, you sorry, turned I did, down yes, a proposal yes. and you were dating this guy who was in yes. the army and he would have, he would have ticked a lot of the boxes. Yeah. I can imagine myself at that age thinking, Oh, well, I better do this. Oh, yeah, it would have Particularly been very, then. Um, it would have, they certainly would have, they wouldn't have said you're better than that. They'd have said, oh, that's perfect. What, and did you just feel something was off? Uh, it didn't, no, I didn't trust him. So that's, no, I was quite right not to trust him. You were right. Yeah, <laughs> funny enough, I bumped into his ex-wife on the towpath a couple of years ago. She said, you dodged a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> 
You seem like you're at a very happy place in your life. Oh God, I'm th I have the best life. Do you? You know, as the kids say, I'm living my best <laughs> life. You know, seriously, I get to do something different every day. I'm constantly stimulated. So I'm like a dog, you know, <laughs> wagging its tail the whole time. Going, woo. Um, I get the adrenaline rush of live TV, but not all the time. And we live, a fa and, I, and I live with somebody I adore. So, you know, hey, what's, what's not to love? And I have fantastic nibblings as well. But you made this, didn't you, as well? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Because you make things happen. There have been points in your life <laughs> where you, would, you didn't get into Cambridge originally. I think a lot of people would have thought, hmm. oh, okay, I'm going to slink away and go somewhere else. You thought, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try again. Yeah, I did keep trying, yes, I, I do. And so Alice always says, <laughs> she says, when one door closes, don't embarrass yourself by trying to open it. Whereas I would constantly go, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. Find another door, find a window. She'd go, please don't embarrass yourself. <laughs> she's a handle tugger, you're a handle tugger, and she's not. No. Would she say it's closed now? Yeah, it's closed, walk away. <laughs> but it's worked for you, hasn't it? It has, and we're, and we're a very good fit, because I think one thing... Do you think it helps that you're very different, you and Alex? Oh, God, yes. Massively. You do goggle box together, and yeah, that gets an amazing response. It. You know, that is extraordinary for two minutes of telly every once in a while because we're never on for longer than that. Um, it is extraordinary the um, mm. reaction it gets, and right across age groups, and so diverse. And you, you know, but people constantly come up to me and say, "Oh, I love you on goggle box, but your wife's much funnier than you." <laughs> yes, I know. Somebody said to me the other day, "She's so much cooler than you are." Yes, 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 she is. But you know what, Claire? I think it's so positive as well that you guys are doing that. And I can, I'm not saying this is why you did it, but I, I think what's happened as a result, I think it's just to see you guys as a couple and it's... Yeah, it's, and we sat at home yeah. in our house on our sofa watching telly. Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. It feels it ridiculous does to even be saying out, that. But, no, but a woman know. came out to me the other day at a book signing and she said from a 60-year-old lesbian, she said, I'd like to yeah. say thank you. She because I was when I was young, we never saw. She said yeah. we had Katie Lang <laughs> and Andrea Dawkin, and that was it. <laughs> Ellen's the one that made a big difference for me. Really? Oh yeah. When Ellen was on the front of Time magazine, I was in America at the time, actually, and she got Person of the Year or whatever. It's like my God, there's a, you know, a woman in television who's out, and it's not affecting her detrimentally. In fact, it's probably helping, and. Maybe, maybe this isn't something to be ashamed of. Maybe this is something to be proud of. And when you can flick that switch from shame to pride, it makes such a difference, but it also makes a difference to other people because you're confident and happy in who you are. A, everyone wants to have you around. So, yeah. you know, we get advice to all sorts of things. And B, I think it makes a difference to other women in similar situations that they go, oh, my relationship has not just validity, but it can be celebrated. This is something everybody can actually enjoy. Oh, Claire. Oh, and so I need to ask you, what dog, mm. Isle of Dogs, which is a brilliant book, and I, I found it, as I say, it's such a joyful, lovely read. And I just, I learned so much about dogs because oh, there's good. nothing you don't know about dogs. Um, have you started, part of it is a journey towards mm. you and Alice possibly thinking of what dog to get. Yes. Where are you and Alice on that? Well, where we are is that we've bought a new house <laughs> and we're basically going to knock it down and build <laughs> so that we have the perfect house for and, and a protected 
space around it where the doors can be open yes. so consequently either puppy or you know new young dog or whatever can get out all the time and the cats <laughs> won't get either run over or kidnapped so that's the pl yeah. we're changing our whole life and like moving this. away from this gorgeous area but changing our whole life to suit the dog that will come in because we should say you've got two cats, you and Alice. Mm. You've got Eric and... We've got Button, who is the mother of Eric. Oh, right. And Eric is very, very nervous. And I just, I am slightly worried about Eric and how he will adapt. But as long as he's got somewhere he can go and hide, he'll be fine. Good You names. know, I think, you know, with little Raymond, he'd be fine. So I don't think he could be intimidated by Raymond. What do you make of Raymond, Claire? I think he's great. I think he's got a massive personality. I love him. Do you know what I like about him? And this is something you say in the book, is your dog... It tells you a lot about the owner. Yes. And often there is something of the owner in it that yes. the owner wants to reveal about themselves, I think. And what I like about Raymond is that he defies expectation, is that I think people look at him and think he's a slightly Paris Hilton, floofy, snappy. Judge me, I think people make assumptions about him. Mm. And actually he's quite a thoughtful Zen. Mm. Yes. Sensitive, introverted yes. dog. Are we self-projecting? Yes, we are. Okay, good. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> oh, Claire, what are they? Are they cockers or springers? Cockers, yeah. They're lovely, though, but my God, they've got muddy. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Look at this pup. This is Emily's dog. This is Raymond. He's actually a Shih Tzu, but he looks like he might have a little bit of, you know, Bit of Griffon Bristol or something in him, doesn't he? He's a good boy. He's very funny though. <laughs> right, Lovely thank to you. Meet you. Come on, Claire. Let's walk you back to where you have to be. Or I'm going to go down the there, and I'm going to and uh, go under the. Thing. And you're still doing crafts, Claire. Oh yes. Oh, what a oh, gig yes. that is! I love that. Do and you? hopefully, I think lost dogs, found dogs, as we're calling it now. Um, because as they realise that Lost Dogs Live with Claire Balding does in print look like Lost Dogs Live <laughs> with Claire Balding, in which case they're not lost. So Channel 5 that is, and, and hope that'll come back in another form that that way. Um, next year. Um, I say another form, it, yeah, we'll just make some tweaks, but essentially it'd be lovely to have a recurring series on dogs. Um, because I love doing crafts, but that's four days a year, you know. I think there's space in the schedules for, for a bit more, <laughs> bit more dog love. Um, and, and dog advice and, you know. Come on, Raymond. Good boy. Run, run, run. Oh, yeah. Look at him go. He looks like a little flying carpet. Don't you? Yes. <laughs> it sounds like you are okay with enjoy does it do you have to sort of force yourself like we were saying earlier to enjoy the spoils of your career and not think oh yeah i constantly feel guilty do you yeah yeah that's a good lad he hasn't had a poo not that i saw did he have one earlier no do you know what he's a bit like you claire <laughs> well <They're> constipated <laughs> <laughs> character oh right oh, i see so he uh -huh. he doesn't uh he sometimes he doesn't like yes. eating early yes archie didn't wake up early archie no god no he didn't want to go for a walk early no it's been a genuine pleasure thank you and i love your book isle of dogs and i which is out now isn't it, is. it and i really recommend 
If you love dogs, you'll love it. If you don't, you'll love it. Raymond, are you going to get your own copy? Yeah. And Claire, we should leave Sorry, you and let you go because you've got a busy day. Are you going to say goodbye to Raymond? Yeah, bye-bye, Raymond. Here we go. Let's just take that off as well. Let's give you a bit of grooming. You're so sweet. You're going to be tired. Yes, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mm. Oh, bye-bye, Claire. I really hope you enjoyed that episode of Walking the Dog. We'd love it if you subscribed and do join us next time on Walking the Dog wherever you get your podcasts.